Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Uh, it's Tatum, for what it's worth. Um, one of these days, I'm just going to walk up here and quit trying to tell you what my name is, because uh, clearly he's not giving up on that. <clears throat> but excited to be with you guys. Uh, my understanding, and maybe this is a big prank, uh, is that you've been looking at the cru- crucifixion all year, yes? How about it? Okay, all right. I never know with these guys. But <clears throat> So, first of all, uh, kind of a downer, right? Um, I mean, that is a lot of blood and guts and murder and death. Also, in case you haven't noticed, there's still a global pandemic, and now there's a war in Europe for the first time since the 1940s. So, I have always known that CCF staff is strange. This is clear. I think it's common knowledge, yeah? But this, guys, the crucifixion all year, that, this, that's next level. Um... All kidding aside, I, I, I kind of actually see that it makes sense. I mean, the, the, the great symbol of Christianity is a cross, which is a little odd, right? This Roman torture device. Interesting symbol for sure. I understand why people tried to make the fish work. Remember that? Like, if you're a car in the 90s, maybe you had a fish, but that didn't really, didn't really take. Um, less controversial and graphic, it, it is the cross. Um, But I think most of the time, Christians, we look at the cross on Good Friday and quickly turn to the resurrection and move along. So I don't think it's a bad idea to take some more time to look at the crucifixion. If you guys uh, haven't listened to, I listened this week to Reed's intro to the series, which was excellent, but it convinced me that this was worth examining. And I hope today that we can kind of turn over what I think is an often overlooked, seemingly minor role in this story, a minor character, but I think that minor character has something for us today, even 2,000 years later and 6,500 miles away. So this character shows up in all three synoptic gospels, but I'd like to focus on Mark's account. Uh, Mark 15, 21 to 24, short little passage that you can turn to or not, it's fine, uh, says, they compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. His name was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. So the synoptics, as you guys probably know, are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And most scholars agree that Mark wrote his account first, and that Matthew and Luke, as they were writing uh, from their perspectives, in their context, that they had Mark as a source for them. Uh, Most scholars believe that Mark was written sometime in the 60s, like like 060s, not like 1960s, right? Long time ago, but something like 30 years after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Um, Mark's account is usually, it's the shortest, it cuts like straight to the point, he doesn't mince words, he doesn't go into tons of details, and the ending of his book, uh, the real ending anyway, uh, kind of leaves things hanging. You see, Mark's context was that Christians were being heavily persecuted by Nero at this time, and honestly, to me, I get it, like a little suspense makes sense. In the 60s, the 060s, Like, Mark didn't know how this thing was going to go. All that to say, so Mark was this man of few words, this writer of few words. He didn't embellish often, unlike uh, Derek, 
read, maybe, myself. Uh, he did not embellish, <clears throat> but he makes sure to tell us who it was that carried Jesus' cross on the way to Golgotha. And I find that curious and worth exploring. So unfortunately, we don't know a ton about this Simon, right? Thanks, Mark. Uh, but we do know that he's from Cyrene and that he came in from the country, which is like a massive understatement. Uh, does anyone know where Cyrene is? No, it's in Libya, which is in Africa, and not even like next country over in Africa. It's like past Egypt. We have a slide even. I looked up. Thank you, Google. Um, so walking, it would take approximately 360 hours. I don't know why you wouldn't like go above Cairo, but that's neither here nor there. So 360 hours walking to get from Cyrene to Jerusalem. And if he took a boat, which I think is, is likely, even that, the, the distance as the crow flies, or I guess as the boat sails, um, was 783.24 miles. We're good. Uh, thank you. So my first observation from the text for this morning, if you guys are taking notes, you may want to write this down, is that that is far. <laughs> That's very far. Those distances may not mean much to you, uh, with today's travel, but it would be like walking from New York City to Kirksville, which is far. Also, why? But it is far, right? It would be like taking a boat if you took the boat route from like North Dakota and Manitoba down to Kirksville. Like that is the distance that we are talking about, that Simon of Cyrene traveled. So, <clears throat> I have a few assumptions I'd like to make. One is that I think a boat was probably involved at some point. Another assumption is I think Simon was probably a man of means. I think that's pretty safe. Not everyone is traveling this kind of distance. I mean, we're talking boats without engines, right? Like, this was a big deal, so I think it took a lot. Uh, I also think, based on the timing, he was probably coming in for the Passover feast, which I think is important. And then... My fourth and last assumption, I'll stop assuming, is that this was a trip of a lifetime. This trip did not happen on a whim. I think Simon probably had to save for this trip for years, maybe decades. He's planning it. I picture him in his bed thinking about this lifetime trip to Jerusalem for Passover worshiping at the temple on the Sabbath in Jerusalem. That would have been a dream, a dream of his that he was going to make a reality. Now, I don't really have a, a parallel in my own life. I did run out of gas by the Kirksville Airport yesterday. Um, that is true. I called Reed. I was like, hey, I'm at the airport in Kirksville. He's like, what? You weren't flying? I was like, nope. Um, uh, but he came and got me. I didn't even walk. That's not even a good illustration. I did, however, uh, in college, some, some friends and I, uh, I'm a big baseball fan. I uh, grew up outside of Atlanta, a Braves fan. Um, yeah, yeah, they did. They actually did win the World Series. Um, but in, I think it was 2000, we planned this trip up the East Coast. We went to like five games in seven days, Baltimore, doubleheader uh, at Mets, Shea Stadium at the time, went to Fenway, which is like all-time amazing, and then went back to Yankee Stadium, which was the most fun I've ever had at a baseball game. You can ask later. I'll save that. But even that trip for us, like, took planning. It took months. It took some money. We only ma we managed one hotel in that whole time. 
Uh, we stayed in some very, very gross places with people we hardly knew. But like that took months of planning. I think what we're talking about with Simon is a lifetime event for him. He's there for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. But God had other plans on that Passover, right? So the text says that they compelled a passerby who's coming in from the country to carry his cross. And I think, in my humble opinion, I think it would have been a better story if the, the, the they, the soldiers, would have asked, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, uh, who would like to put into practice what Jesus said about picking up your cross daily and carrying it for him? Anybody? And then Simon speaks up, dear Roman soldier, I'll pick up the cross. I don't know why Simon's British. But in my head, like, oh, what a, what a great, what a great illustration that would have been. But this is not the gospel according to Philip or Fardum or Tatum. That's not what happened. But I, th- I think Simon must have gotten to Jerusalem with some time to spare. So I think he was there. He was there for Holy Week. Maybe he was there on Palm Sunday. Maybe he was waving branches, singing Hosanna. I don't know, but for him to be there on that road, that was not coincidental for this religious man coming to Jerusalem. He got caught up in this story. Right there. Close enough to see it and close enough for the soldiers to grab him and say, hey, you're carrying this thing for him. And just so we're clear, I I don't know that he had much of a choice in the matter. Like, I like to think that, that he's like, oh, it's me, raises his hand. Probably not. Maybe he could have run off, but I think he was compelled by Roman soldiers who were trying to get their job done and who were scary to carry this cross. But he did it. We don't know all the particulars. Again, thanks, Mark. But he was forced into it, but he did it. Can you even imagine? What must the weight of the cross been like? How about the screams of those around? Mary being right there weeping and wailing. He's listening to this as he carries this thing. The screams of the guards who are trying to move things along and just get their job done. And imagine what the cross was like. The weight, yes, but it had to have been covered in blood, maybe even chunks of Jesus' flesh, dragging that torture device up the steep hill, then being shoved aside when his task was completed. I don't know, is this what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. (laughs) For Simon of Cyrene, it was a literal cross he had to carry. Maybe he's the guy who first wore a necklace with a cross on it? I don't know. I doubt it. I honestly doubt it. But for him, he literally took up the cross of Jesus and followed him up that hill. And that experience changed him forever. It changed him. It changed his dream trip to Jerusalem, right? Have you thought about that? I'm sure he was planning to go to the temple on Sabbath the next day. But he was unclean. According to the law, he couldn't go. He had touched blood. It wasn't proper. So his bucket list item, he was never going to get to check that off. But Simon was changed. 
He was there. He saw what happened. And I don't think that old bucket list mattered anymore. So it's interesting to me, too, that Alexander and Rufus, Simon's sons, are mentioned. Again, I already said, Mark didn't write a bunch of extra stuff. So most scholars think that Mark wrote that in the 60s because Alexander and Rufus were still around. These guys were Christians. They were probably leaders in the early church. And many think that this is who Paul is talking about at the end of his letter to the Romans when he says in Romans 16.3, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother, a mother to me also. So I don't know. I am not certain on that one, but maybe. Did Rufus know Paul? Was Simon's wife a mother to Paul, like the guy who wrote most of the New Testament for us? Potentially. There is a lot that we don't know, but I believe that Simon's family became an influential family in the early church. Pretty significant. I believe that Simon's encounter with Jesus, carrying the cross, changed his life, changed his son's lives, changed his wife's life, and who knows how many others around him. I think the ripple effect is more than evident, and that, I think, is why Mark put those details in there for us. So another thing that's always struck me about <clears throat> this passage is Jesus' humanity in it all. So I grew up in the church, a small, conservative, maybe fundamentalist church growing up, but I had this idea that Jesus, yeah, 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 he was divine and human, but he was like, human, wink, wink? Like, what do you do with the miracles and the walking on water and the resurrection, right? He wasn't that human, right? This was kind of like what I had constructed in my mind. But this passage here, along with like Gethsemane and some others, tell me that no, somehow Jesus really was fully human. I believe in that strange mystery of his dual nature of being both human and divine. It's, it's a mystery that I've explored for years, that I continue to be confused by. But I mean, he definitely was human. Otherwise, he wouldn't have needed Simon, right? But he was completely out of strength. He could not go on. He had been tortured and had nothing left to give physically. Jesus needed Simon. You ever thought about that? The Son of God needed Simon. And even though Simon was compelled to carry that cross by the soldiers, he did it. Jesus needed others to help him. He did a lot on that cross. And you guys have been talking about that now for months. But he couldn't do it all. I mean, he paid the price for all there is that. Yes, yes, yes. But I believe that there was and there is an invitation. There's an invitation to join him. Another mystery I've been exploring for years now <clears throat> is what the heck he meant when he said in John, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything... I will do it. So as a kid, I thought that meant, all right, God give me a winning lottery ticket in Jesus' name. 
but that never worked out. Nor did my Major League Baseball career or collegiate basketball career or high school sports career work out. Nothing seemed to. My stand-up comedian phase did not work out. So none of the things that I asked for selfishly worked out in that way. But I'm still pondering, what does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, you will do the works that I do and in fact do greater works than these? We're going to do greater works than Jesus? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been given the gift of healing. I haven't cast out a demon before. But I've been places that Jesus never went to, <laughs> including Kirksville. Um, but human working on the earth, Jesus, I've been places that Jesus didn't know about. I've interacted with people that Jesus didn't know, human walking on the earth, Jesus. And I think that Jesus needs me now like he needed Simon then. Uh, when I was in college, I was involved in a CCF at Georgia Tech, much like this community. And my time so deeply impacted me that as I was graduating, instead of pursuing engineering, I decided to join a team and help start basically a CCF in Santiago, Chile, in South America. And I've continued to work in campus ministry around the world. Now, I'm not saying I'm greater than Jesus. Slow down. Don't hear what I'm not saying. <clears throat> But I've seen more of the world, more of the earth than Jesus did. You see, Jesus needs me, and Jesus needs you to carry the message forward. Lord Carey, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, once warned the church, the Church of England, that it was one generation away from extinction. extinction. He was talking about a denomination, but I think it's true for the big C church today. Jesus needs you today. Jesus needs us. And sometimes we encounter Jesus when we're going about our lives faithfully like Simon did, trying to go on a once-in-a-lifetime journey to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So what if, what if, like Simon, being faithful to God looks differently than you originally thought? I did not go to the Georgia Institute of Technology and study industrial and systems engineering to become a campus minister. But I believe that me encountering Jesus and following him has taken me to where I am now. I believe that Jesus asked me to pick up my cross and follow him and leave some things behind. So what if God is calling you to use what you are studying now for the kingdom? There's a woman in our organization named June who has worked for, I'm not even sure how long, a decade plus in Lutsk, Ukraine. And thankfully, she's been back on furlough because of threats of war and now war. But this woman studied nursing. She's from Oregon. And she could have had a pretty, pretty easy life, I think, in Portland or Eugene and even helped people serving as a nurse. And that would have been logical even for her. She has some challenges that make her daily life pretty tough. But she felt called to go and serve in Ukraine. And she can't get back there now, but in the last week, uh, they have evacuated four of the, the kids that she worked with in Lutsk. Special needs, quadriplegic kids, they got them out. 
they got them to Germany, and they're in a Christian retreat center. They are safe, but they don't have anyone who speaks Russian, and they can't give them the daily assistance they need. So we've flown June to Germany to help translate and care for these kids. For her, taking up her cross and following Jesus looked like going to Ukraine and back to Oregon and now to Germany. That's what it looked like for June. One of my favorite, so Global Scope is the organization uh, that I work with and uh, our campus ministries. And one of my favorites, uh, this young woman, Abigail, is leaving in just a few months from Uruguay. She served there faithfully for five years. I've tried everything in my power to keep her. She's been a wonderful missionary. Her Spanish is incredible. She loves Montevideo, but she has a burning passion to care for immigrants in our country. And so in a few months, she's going to start law school in the U.S. She's moving back here to care for those who have been marginalized and are pushed to the sides and thrown out. For her, that's what picking up her cross and following Jesus looks like. You see, real sacrifice means giving up something that you can't get back. But it's not always a career. It doesn't always require you to move across the world, though sometimes it might. Sometimes it can be in the small things. See, Jesus said to pick up your cross daily and follow him, right? I was reminded, I called my dad yesterday as I was driving, running out of gas. Um, here, and I remembered this story of a guy in our church growing up, this man named Roger Rizzolo. He lived um, in a shack like in the woods back behind our church. I was, had these images of him. He was a strange man that we were kind of afraid of. Faithful church attender, showed up, sat in the back, didn't smell great. Uh, and I remember my dad and I, one time we were driving through town, and we saw Roger. He was on his bike. Uh, and he'd collect recycling. I think that's how he made ends meet. Barely had to make ends meet doing that. But he's on a bike, and he has no tires. He is riding around. I still have this image burned in my mind of just riding around on rims collecting recycling. And so my dad sees this, and he's like, oh, man, you know, just feels convicted. So he has a great idea. We've got this bike in our, our shed. So my dad fixes it up, gets a new seat, paints it puts a basket on the front, just like Roger had, and I'll never forget, never forget, delivering that bike to Roger. <clears throat> so he pulled back there. He's like on this dirt road, like in the woods. My dad said he didn't think there was running water at this place or indoor plumbing, which is crazy. Uh, I'm not that old. Uh, this would have been the 80s. But we pull back there. Roger comes out. My dad gets this bike out of the truck and says, hey, Roger, we wanted to give this to you. And Roger is blown away. He's like, wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Like, thank you so much. You know what? I know somebody who could really use this. For Roger, maybe that's what picking up his cross and following Jesus looked like. Then he said to them all, if you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. Pray with me.
God, I thank you for Simon and Alexander and Rufus and his wife. I thank you for Simon and his faithfulness and that he encountered you and it changed everything. It changed his bucket list and his dreams and desires. And God, I thank you for June and Abigail and Roger and examples of what it means to follow you today. God, show us. Show us what picking up our cross needs to look like. God, it could be big, it could be small, but we want to be faithful to you. God, show us where we can join you and what you're doing in this world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.